Good morning and welcome to Subject ACT on 2XXFM 98.3. I'm Doug Doving. Today on Subject ACT we talk with Chris Kimball, the Chief Executive Officer of Snowy Hydro Southcare. Chris is an award-winning journalist, television presenter and former face of the local ABC Current Affairs program, 730ACT. He is also a campaigner and fundraiser for Cancer Support Services, the Leukaemia Foundation and the proud ambassador for Lifecycle. It would be too easy to talk with Chris and just focus on his professional career and the work he does as CEO at Snowy Hydro Southcare. But in doing so, we miss an inspirational story that reveals the heart of Chris, a light-hearted Canberra man with a love for sport, people and this city. The inspirational story of Chris Kimball, the man, the messenger and the mission is presented over two programs. This week, Chris Kimball talks about growing up in Canberra, studying journalism at Canberra University and his love to tell stories. Later in today's program, Chris gets deep and personal, sharing his experiences of living with an advanced and aggressive cancer and celebrating his transplant day. Next week on Subject ACT, Chris will share stories about his role as the Chief Executive Officer at Snowy Hydro Southcare. He talks about the life-saving missions, the people they rescue and the dedicated medical and flight crews. It is a privilege to share the story of Chris Kimball, the man, the messenger and the mission. We apologise for the low sound quality at times due to poor phone line quality during the interview. You're listening to Subject ACT for local current affairs and news on 2XXFM 98.3. Thank you for uh, joining us today on 2XXFM. It's great to be speaking to 2XX. I remember many moons ago as uh, I just started at the Uni of Canberra as a journalism studio uh, student and 2XX was the first real-life radio station I ever got to see, so it's nice to be speaking with you today. Welcome back onto radio. I mean, it's funny how we grow as people and we do go back to some of the old paths where we've been many years ago. Yeah, absolutely. We, we all sort of go in different directions, but, but uh, you come back to the things that, that you're passionate about and the things that you enjoy doing and, and uh, you know, been lucky in this town that, that's provided some opportunities for me to do, to follow those things that, that I'm really passionate about and enjoy being involved with. You describe yourself as a passionate storyteller. What is it about you? Where did you get your passion for being a storyteller and a writer? I guess it's it's just a curiosity. I, you know, many people who have spent a great deal of time in journalism are people who are curious by nature that, that want to know how things work and and they, they want to then communicate those stories to other people. So uh, I've always enjoyed finding out how something works. I've always enjoyed travelling and doing things like that when I was when I was younger and and, and I guess going into journalism was an extension of that, was, was it takes you to places that you don't normally get to see. You go into, you meet people from all these different walks of lives and you, you get to experience a little bit of their life and you're sort of the conduit of that to then share that with other people. So you're a little window onto so many different worlds. It's what makes it such an interesting craft, I reckon. Growing up in Canberra in itself is unique because many people... Canberra is a transient population of politicians, diplomats, public servants. Yep. Yet you were born here and you grew up in Canberra. Yeah, and 
I guess I'm like uh, mine is the the archetypal Canberra type story where Mum came from Sydney and Dad came from Melbourne and the public service drew them here and they they sort of met in one of the, the hostels in the uh, early 1970s and and then you know my my siblings were that sort of a Canberra generation that sprung out of that being a part of that generation and seeing the centenary year in 2013 that you know it was almost like an awakening of our generation to, to really embrace the city and, and be proud of where we came from and where we're going and, and when you talk about the story like the, the narrative of Canberra the story of Canberra really shifted in that year didn't it in terms oh really did yeah, it was almost it was, like we've grown up um, yeah, it was like a validation wasn't it yeah yeah. It, it's amazing. So some of those stories around the centenary, what what were some of those things that really impressed you? I, I was working at the ABC at the time and, and we'd done a lot of stories that weren't necessarily traditional current affairs, that weren't necessarily, it didn't have to have a politician, it didn't have to have sort of a, an academic and advocacy group. They were, there were a lot of personal stories, people stories about things that people are deeply passionate about and things that are relevant to community. And the feedback that we tended to get was people wanted from their news and current affairs, they wanted the big picture. So they want to know what's happening around the world. They want to know what's happening around the country. But similarly, they wanted the little picture as well. They also wanted to know what was happening in their backyard. And the parish pump stories are the ones that tended to resonate most with people because they're the stories that are deeply relevant to their lives. And they're the ones that the forums for sharing those stories are becoming fewer and fewer. So our sort of local media is contracted. Uh, there's so much generic content out there now that uh, the, the capacity to sort of tell the backyard story or the, the, the little picture is becoming more difficult. So in that centenary year, it was, it was often the stories about not necessarily the big institutions that we all know, so we love and know these great national institutions, but it was the, the stories of, of normal community life and people doing exceptional things were the ones that, um, that really resonated with the audiences and the people that, that I got the opportunity to speak with. And I think that's, that's still relevant today. That's, um, that's what people are after, aren't they? True, Chris. I, I agree. Canberra seems very unique in its nature that we love to hear stories about Canberrans doing great things or even struggling through things because Canberrans want to know what's happening here. Yeah, I completely agree, Doug. And it's, and it's not just the things that make us proud. It's the things that, that confront us as well and, and challenge the way we, we see the city in which we live in. So mm-hmm. I think those confronting stories are, are just as important. The, the stories about perhaps hidden disadvantage or social inequity or, or people struggling with, um, uh, you know, with, with education or health or those sort of traditional drivers of community life, I think just as important to be authentic in, in the stories that we, we talk about. And you're not going to, you can't generate social change without recognising what the issues are. You are listening to Chris Kimball, Chief Executive Officer of Snowy Hydro Southcare on Subject ACT with 2XXFM 98.3. On the outside, Canberra does present itself as a beautiful, clean and crisp advanced city, but there are stories behind there that need to be revealed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the, the homelessness special that, that I was lucky enough to be involved with was one of those ones that generated a huge amount of feedback uh, because it was an issue that perhaps until that point to a degree hadn't really been laid out and we hadn't really acknowledged it and we had the opportunity to look at it in depth with both lived experiences from people on the ground, um, practitioner experiences like people who have provided help in a social work setting and things 
things like that, and then sort of strategic, you know, people that are looking at big picture solutions to try and solve these sort of problems. So I think, yeah, that one uh, and, and some of those stories that uh, still stick in my mind today were pretty pretty harrowing, and mm. you have no concept of that, do you, until you actually hear it from those people, and, and, and most of us go about our daily lives and, and, and don't have a lot of visibility to the fact that a lot of people are living their lives like this and you need those vehicles to actually tell those stories to, to bring it home to people that this is a reality for a lot of people. It's almost like as a journalist you have that opportunity to be the eyes for people to to look in those hidden places to, to discover and then reveal that there is something that needs to change. Yeah and I guess giving people a voice like mm. that right across those social issue type stories uh, you know giving voice to people who are disenfranchised and don't often uh, have the opportunity to, to explain what life is like to them and it gives everyone a greater understanding and a, and a context for sort of getting that, you know, there's more to life than just what, what we see on a day-to-day basis, isn't there? You are listening to Subject ACT, the local current affairs and news with Doug Dovey. I understand you had a, a very challenging part of your life in the last few years, struggling with cancer. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you, you mention it now, Doug, because it was actually, um, I just had a little goosebump moment then when I really realised that it was four years ago this week uh, that I had my bone marrow transplant as uh, as a, a pretty, uh, you know, almost a, a last-ditch treatment to, to try and uh, knock my disease on the head. It was a, a advanced and aggressive form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I'd had a series of chemotherapy protocols over the preceding year that couldn't get the disease under control, so I had to have the bone marrow transplant at Westmead and yeah it was four years ago this week so yeah it it seems like a long time ago but at at the same time it's not no and and so the reality is still fresh with you yeah absolutely and Oh, they, they sort of, they give you five, they, they say when you reach the five-year mark, uh, you, your relapse rates tend to really drop off cliff. So each of those little milestones, like four years is a, is a significant milestone in terms of getting towards, you know, inverted commas, cure, uh, you know, some form of, of cure. But um, but yeah, it was it was certainly a, a really confronting period in my life and my family's life. And after I had the transplant, I was at Westmead for basically six months as my immune system recovered and uh, I was really as I went in there it was it was pretty much a 50-50 chance of coming out so uh, the the toss of a coin between us having this conversation and leaving a a then two and six year old without a dad so So that's that for in itself as a dad must be a real struggle I mean one is your health but you want to be there for your kids to grow up as well yeah and I guess at that stage having six months out of not being, you know, you're in this uh, sort of a controlled board that you were not able to see the kids even. But with a two-year-old having six months out of her life, like you, she's a different kid when you come out the other side. But um, confronting your own mortality at that stage, is, yeah, it's sort of deeply challenging. And the, the fact that you, yeah, it's almost inconceivable the, um, if you were to go down the worst-case scenario path, it's, it's it's hard to imagine. I mean, I know a lot of people who've been through that sort of tragedy and there's been some, some ones in recent years with some high-profile people who are around my same age, uh, want stories that have been in the paper. I mean, it's hard to conceive what, what it'd be like to, to try and rebuild your life after something like that. So, you know, we I consider myself and, and our family so so fortunate that we've had this outcome that I'm four years down the track and I'm, I'm upright and, uh, and, and, you know, ticking off the, the days towards 
able to say we're in the clear, hopefully. So it's always in the back of your mind, though. Is it really? It is hard, Chris, to imagine what it would be like to struggle with cancer. Thank you so far for your story. Let's take a music interlude with something Canberra, sporty, and a reminder of the let's take on the challenge feel of a Rocky comeback movie. With Canberra's own street funk brass band, Brass Knuckle Brass Band, playing Penguin. Stay tuned to 2XXFM as we continue with our interview with Chris Kimball, Chief Executive Officer of Snowy Hydro Southcare, and Chris talks about his battle with cancer. What were some of the questions in your mind when you first discovered that? Oh, I, I don't think... I didn't really drop into the why me type situation and, and my disease was 
because there's no genetic factors, there's no lifestyle factors or anything. It's just one of those ones that, that sort of comes out of the blue. So it wasn't, there was no sort of, oh, I wish I had done things differently. I wish I had lived differently or anything like that. So I guess I didn't have that burden. But we dropped into a mode of just absolute pragmatism because that was our coping mechanism, I guess. That we have a chuckle that I always used to, you know, I was a sports journalist for a long time. So I heard a lot of one week at a time type stuff. So <laughs> take it one game at a time, all that. But yeah. In that situation, you you just dealt what was you had to deal with what was in front of you that week, and then and then move on to what the next week's challenge was. Because anything other than that, you didn't have the emotional capacity to respond to the bigger picture. What what do we do next? But what if what if this goes badly? I think yeah, you have to be you have to sort of concentrate your efforts into getting through dealing with what you can at, at a particular time, and and lucky enough to have people around me to be able to provide that support network to, to help that process. Because a lot of people don't have that, or a lot of people live remotely and don't have access to the soil health services that we take for granted here. So, mm. yeah, I think that's it's interesting that sport has such an impact on us, the lessons that we gain from it. Yeah, absolutely. I guess there's people in, in, in situations of adversity there, but I think we also, um, I think we, we, we overstate, you know, the life and death struggles compared to what happens on a, on a sporting field yeah. sometimes too. And I, I love sport. I love cricket. I love footy and, and things like that. But yeah, put it all in perspective when you're dealing with, with life and death stuff suddenly. But um, yeah, it, it's an interesting sort of an analogy. But yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, you, you hate to sort of say, yeah, yeah, I'll take it on one game at a time. Or, and, <laughs> and in many every ways. Every cliche in the book. But, uh, true. but yeah, it brought home. <laughs> You are listening to Subject ACT for Local Current Affairs and News with Doug Dovey. I've been fortunate enough to do work in the not-for-profit sector, you know, supporting organisations like the Wonderful Life Cycle Group and the Leukaemia Foundation in Canberra. But um, what I find is the language that we use around cancer can be sort of like we talk about the cancer battle and, he, you know, he fought bravely and all these mm-hmm. Which can sort of, you know, when you're a person going through that, it, it, it applies like a value set to, to how much someone's willing to struggle, which I think sometimes is, is really unfair. And it, it's like if I was to have passed away through my disease, is that like a indicator that I that my battle, that I didn't fight hard enough and things like that? And I think of people I know who've lost their life through cancer and, and you think it is a there's a there's almost a a judgment term when you say brave battle with cancer. I, I think anyone going through that awful disease is is brave by their nature and is sort of in the middle of that process. But yeah, it's interesting the way we talk about it, isn't it? We don't we don't use any other disease or any other medical condition and, and, and call it a battle, do we? We don't have a brave battle with tonsillitis, but uh, <laughs> you wouldn't want life threatening tonsillitis. But it, but it, it's sort of it's part of that separating out cancer as well instead of normalising it as just something that, that, that people, so many people are going through in, in their lives. It's a horrible sort of paradox that cancer is a part of life. That, True, uh, yes. that, is that another area that we do need to educate or help people understand how to communicate with people who are going through those horrific illnesses? I guess it's like mental illness, isn't it? People who haven't been in that situation I guess you, you can't understand what it's like until you've had a lived experience there or until someone very close to you has gone through that. And I think I was completely ignorant to even the basics of, of things like what's chemotherapy, what's radiation therapy, why is it a big deal, what, what, how does all this work? And until you're actually uh, shunted off your nice normal, you know, life, your nice normal path that your life's going, 
until that moment you shunted off that into another direction, you can't really know. Was your head in a space where you could comprehend what was happening and you could think clearly to, to work through it? I don't think so, Doug. I think the reality is, yeah, we were just going along like most normal families on that sort of path where, you, where you're worrying about what you think's important at the time, whether it's you've got to get the car fixed or the, the fridge is broken down or things, or, you know, things at work. But, but then you are literally, the moment you're diagnosed, it's like a sledgehammer that, that just, you, you know, completely, um, you know, means you have to reassess everything. So I don't think you, you're in the space where you can sit back and observe it from the outside. I think you drop into that mode of, of just trying to be pragmatic and trying to get through what, what's in front of you. But there's no doubt you're, you're spinning because terminology you don't understand and, and consequences you, you can't comprehend. So, yeah, survival, uh, both physically and psychologically, is the intent at that point. And supports, were there enough supports for your wife through this time as well while you were being treated? We were really fortunate in that we had a re- we've got a, a great group of friends and family who could provide the practical supports that you need in that situation. Uh, we had great support from organisations like the Leukaemia Foundation who were able to assist with things that that you don't even know is going to be an issue and you know basic things like accommodation services and things like that. And when I was at Westmead and support again for my wife during that period, but I, I think in that situation. It seems a bit ridiculous to say, but it's almost easier being the patient in that situation. For me, I had no, I just had to give myself over to the process and, and the outcomes weren't dictated by how much I was willing to fight, so to speak. They were just the consequences of, of the medical treatment I was receiving and, and uh, keeping your fingers crossed. But for my wife, Kerry, observing me going through all of that, and it's almost harder being the carer in that situation because mm. you, you, you must feel helpless. Just and the thought of me when I think God, I would much rather have that disease myself than watch my kids go through it or something like that. That's why I think nothing, nothing's relative in that situation. But when you think about it, there is always someone worse off in that situation. When you think about observing someone that you love going through it, uh, yeah, it's inconceivable, really, isn't it? You are listening to Chris Kimball, Chief Executive Officer of Snowy Hydro Southcare on Subject ACT with 2XXFM 98.3. Is there something more that a community can understand about this type of situation and how we can help and support people going through difficult times, struggles, health issues? I don't know. It's hard to know how to communicate that to the community other than through opportunities to to understand from people the lived experience. And that was, I think that was, for me, telling my story through 730 ACT, it resonated with a lot of people because they had a similar, they had a family member that had experienced cancer in one way or another or it was personal to them. And and we don't see it often that there are people who have a public component to their job are speaking frankly about it. And I guess there's not many opportunities to do that. And so I guess that in my situation, it was important for me to be able to do that but also to get on with with normal life to say at the time yes look I'm going through chemo I'm going to try and work as much as I can I was fortunate to have an employer that was through the ABC who was supportive and a job that allowed me to to get on with work as much as I could so um, I think that it's important to to have the opportunity to to hear people's story and things like that because it is you know we all you don't have to 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 sort of cast your net out very far to to find your own connection Mm. to disease and, 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 you know, it's, it's a horrible reality about life these days, isn't it? But yeah, you 
Stay tuned for more on 2XXFM 98.3 People Powered Radio. This time in your life, has this changed the way that you view life in itself? Has it changed your perspective on what's oh, really important? It, it, it's hard. I mean, psychologically, you think you, you should be smelling the roses. And, and, and people <laughs> sort of think that that... Yeah. And, and you hear a lot of stories about people who've gone through life-threatening disease that come out the other side or, or a, you know, a, a traumatic experience that, that have that changed perception. But I think I, I came out the other side and you're just absolutely uh, bent in terms of your emotional response and all that. And I, I think it does take a long time to actually recover and, actually, and really appreciate that you know, this is a great outcome given the situation. But yeah, you're, not, you're not exactly bouncing off the walls when you've recently come out of these situations. So uh, I think in, in my situation, it's taken a little while to, to, to really, you know, you, it brings home, you appreciate the time you spend with family and you, you value that and you realise how easily that, uh, that opportunity could be taken away. But yeah, I'm still waiting to smell the roses, I think. So. <laughs> hey, and I wish many more years to enjoy those roses too. That's the plan. Yep. <laughs> Chris, look, I'm excited to share this story today because one, your skills in journalism and telling stories allow people to understand this struggle better. So thank you for being willing to talk about it. No, I mean, yeah, it's my pleasure, mm-hmm. Doug. And I guess having shared that story in a public forum, I really was opening the door to have the conversation. And it wasn't anything that I saw as being um, particularly brave or, no, I look what he's doing, that isn't that a great thing? It was just trying to normalise what was a very mm-hmm. anything but normal process, just trying to say this is something that, that I'm going through and something that's so many other people go through that there's nothing exceptional exceptional about my story. It just I just happened to have a job where I had a forum to tell people about it, and it has been something that even today in my work with Snowy Hydro Southgate, going around and speaking to groups, people will will still come up and, and talk about share their own experiences or talk about what hearing someone normalising their process, what it meant to them. So it, it, there is a, an affirmation and validation that that was really rewarding through that process, and in what was a, such a horrible process to, to have that sort of feedback is, is a good thing. Now, just as a segue to the second part of the story. Where most suburbs have been named after politicians, it's interesting that you live in a Canberra suburb named after the first flying doctor, John Flynn, who established the first outback flying doctor service. And now you are the chief executive officer of a rescue helicopter trust, Snowy Hydro Southcare. It's, I, I never really thought of that, um... Doug, so yeah, that, that's interesting. I mean, I, I grew up in Flynn. I now live, uh, I live a couple of suburbs down the road now in Page, so I've come a long way. I've come like four suburbs. But, um, but, but yeah, I was, as kids, we were acutely uh, um, conscious of, of our suburbs' origins and John Flynn and, you know, a Flynn Primary School T-shirts had the, had, the, had the plane on the front, poor old Flynn Primary School that is closed down these days. And, um, yeah, we were, we were really proud when we were kids um, there was a quiet pride, and uh, and yeah, now Snowy Hydro Southcare it does provide that service to a big chunk of our our state, and, and getting to be involved in this the organisation is yeah is a terrific privilege. Chris, thank you very much for joining us on Two Double X FM. Thank you, Doug. My pleasure. Tune in again next week on Subject ACT 
to hear Chris talk about life as a CEO of Snowy Hydro Southcare and hear stories about the life-saving missions, people they rescue and the dedicated medical and flight crews. Doug, I'm good, mate. Sorry, I missed you a minute ago. No, that's all right. I thought you may have been caught up or joyriding uh, around. Yeah, a lot of joyriding. <laughs> <folks. Yeah. laughs> I can imagine you joyriding around Canberra on helicopters no, every I, day. I, I haven't been up in it yet. I've been here for nearly a year now and haven't, haven't got close. Really? Why is, outrageous, that, why is that just too busy? Yeah, that's, it's just the reality. Yeah, just They used to do a lot more PR-type flights and school visits and stuff like that, but since they've sort of cracked the 500 missions a year mark, you know, three every two days, it's just, yeah, you just don't have the capacity for that, that sort of fun stuff like that. <laughs> but. Caring for someone with cancer can be stressful and difficult at times. If you need help finding the right advice and support, please check out the website at caregateway.gov.au. If you enjoyed the Brass Knuckles Brass Band, then you can hear more of their uplifting music on SoundCloud or catch them live this week in Canberra. Brass Knuckles Brass Band are playing this Thursday night, the 25th of February, at the Transit Bar and will be supporting the Melbourne-based band Sex on Toast, where 80s funk meets improvisation and heartfelt blue-eyed soul. Tickets are available on Ticketek. Join us tomorrow morning, 8.30, on Subject ACT with Lucy, Patrick and Jeff for more local current affairs and news. Thank you for listening. I'm Doug Doving on Subject ACT. Coming up next on 2XX at 9 o'clock is Radio Landcare.